To all of the veterans out there, thank you for your service. Welcome to the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. As always, we are coming to you from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group studio. My name is Michael Wellington, and the man across the table from me is my tag team partner. Many of you know him as the Natty King. His name is Brandon McNamee. Brandon, what is going on today, man? Good morning. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day. I was late. I was late today. Play three minutes. It wasn't bad. Oh, it's about nine. I was about nine minutes late. Ah. But no, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited about our guest. This is one that I think that I'll learn from. So yeah, I'm ready to roll. Yeah, I think you and our, our guests, Rachel Jermack, are going to have a tremendous conversation about kids, kids in school, what's going on in the school systems. Rachel, thank you so much for, for coming out to join us. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm excited. Yeah. Tell our listeners... In your words, a little bit about your background, a little bit about what you have done and what you are doing right now with your job in the St. Louis area schools. Yeah. So I have my undergraduate degree in just psychology, and then I went to grad school specifically for school psychology. So it's a three-year program with the last year being a full year like internship. Well, my training in is a lot of assessment. So I do a lot of assessments to determine if children have learning disabilities or autism or ADHD. So I would say the majority of my job is is doing evaluations and assessments in order to see if they'd qualify for special education services. But then I do a lot of teacher consultation, working with school teams on just like school climate interventions, data gathering, progress monitoring, Lots and lots of different things that I do as a school psychologist, but I have experienced, I think I'm on 13 years now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, it's hard to keep track, but what I, I've worked in the elementary, I have not done middle school, but I've done elementary high school, like you said, all kind of in St. Louis County. I prefer the, the little ones, so like K through five are my favorites. So right now I'm currently working at two elementary schools, doing like a lot of that, so that data gathering assessments you know, working with parents, teachers, administrators, counselors. You know, we have a whole multidisciplinary team. So I work with uh, speech and language pathologists, social workers, occupational therapists, physical therapists. It's a very unique job and, and no one day is the same. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that that position existed. That's a really, that is unique. So you deal with everybody. Like everybody. from the, so if there's a troubled a second grader, mm -hmm. they'll go to their counselor, I'm sure. They go to their teacher. They go to their parents. And then you, they all go to you eventually. Eventually, yeah. So it's kind of like a tiered process. And so you've got just your general population of kids in schools. And so you would expect 80 to 85% of the kids within that population to respond to the curriculum, whether that's academically, socially, emotionally. 80 to 85% of the kids are not going to have any issues. And then you kind of go to the next level, what we call like tier two. And so those might be your kids that just might need some short-term reading intervention or some short-term counseling. And then whatever issues they're having kind of remediate themselves. And then you've kind of got the next level of like that more intense intervention needed, which we would consider special education. It's usually about 10% of your population in your school. It's that many? Wow. It can be, yeah. I think the national, don't quote me on this, national or Missouri average might be about 
12 to 14 percent of kids in schools are receiving special education services but it's quite the spectrum because you've got kids that have kind of just not very significant needs so they might have like just a speech and language impairment so they might only be needing 60 minutes a week of speech therapy because they have a lisp or something like that so that's pretty mild but that's included in the special education population and then you've got like i said your learning disabilities your adhd your autism your kids with more significant like anxiety, depression, or like mood disorders. We, mm-hmm. That category usually falls under what we call an emotional disturbance. And then you've got your kids with your more like physical impairments, so like orthopedic impairments or a cognitive disability. You've seen it all. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. It's, it's a lot. There's You've got to kind of be a little bit of an expert in a lot of different areas, yeah. which, like I said, makes every day very, very interesting and very different. Sure. Um, I bet. Yeah. Is there any one condition, a mental health condition, that's more prevalent than than the rest? I feel like it kind of goes in waves. I mean, like I said, I've been doing this for 13 years. I think currently it's anxiety for sure. I think in the past there's kind of been, I want to say like one disability is like more popular than others, but it kind of seems like kind of go in phases of, or maybe parents, you know, parents kind of get on these trains or advocates kind of get on these trains of like, we're really focusing on this. So like for a while it was like autism. I feel like when I first started was like everyone has autism or we're concerned that everyone has autism. And now it's kind of gone into, I would say in the last five years, a lot of more concerns or a lot more people being more vocal about like dyslexia. Oh, wow. It's been kind of like a big one lately. And there's a lot of like Missouri legislature, like focusing on dyslexia and making sure that we're identifying kids early. But I just feel like from my day-to-day experience, it's a lot of anxiety. Sure. Yeah. When I was... When I think when we were younger, it was ADD. Like, yeah. That was the. And that's so pretty common. For sure. <laughs> yeah. That was the, <laughs> the hot one. Every, yeah. Every, yeah. Anything. It's like ADD, I like that. That's ADD a good. Yeah. yeah. That was it. And I actually have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even, I don't know how I felt. I missed that diagnosis. I didn't get diagnosed with it until I was like 32. Yeah. Which is wow. nuts. Yeah. Probably could have did a lot of. Might have been able to find out sooner. Probably been able to. Yeah. 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 And that's crazy. I, I yeah, I get. So dyslexia. That's like the, you know, I don't hear about that too often. I'm familiar with it just because a very, very close friend of mine found out he had it when we were young, like 12 years old. So I knew about it for a long time and I learned about it and what it does to people or to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you obviously probably know more than I do. Let's talk a little bit about yeah. dyslexia. Sure, what, 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 yeah. in your, what's your definition oh, or the gosh. definition? I mean, it's pretty complex. A lot of people, I feel like when you kind of hear about it or if you see it like on TV or in like popular culture, it's <clears> kind of like people are talking about they mix up their letters right. and their numbers, but it's way more in depth than that. So there's definitely a visual component to it that they might have a hard time tracking when they're reading or they might mix B's and D's or P's and Q's are pretty common ones when they're reading and writing. But then there's also just like foundationally, a lot of students with dyslexia don't have that initial kind of like those foundational skills in reading. So they have a hard time just decoding words. So like things that we don't even think about because we are fluent readers, but like how you sound out words, how you, it's called like phonemic awareness and phonological processing. So like how... Well, that's a, that's, a, <laughs> that's the biggest word we ever Yeah, had. yeah. <laughs> so like how you like, so if I said Michael, say the word cat. Cat. Now say the word cat one sound at a time. Cat. Wow. So, I don't so, think I could yeah, I mean, you, if like I said, cat. what's the last sound in the word cat? 
Right. Yeah. So kids with dyslexia really struggle with that, like isolating specific sounds or blending sounds or like segmenting words. They might have trouble with like rhyming. So like we as fluent readers, I'm saying the three of us because I assume we're all fluent readers. I, I, I can't read <laughs> so, at all. So, I've never read. Struggle. But we're able to manipulate sounds within words. And so that's another big component of dyslexia that they just don't have that sound awareness. So then it really obviously affects your reading. If you come to a new word, you don't know what strategies do you have or how do you decode that unfamiliar word? They really struggle with that. So then if you can't decode and read, then you right. can't comprehend what you're reading. Dude, if so. you have dyslexia, do you struggle with reading comprehension as well? Or is that... Sometimes, no. It's actually really amazing how well some of these kids can compensate. So they might read, like say we've got a second grade student and they might be reading a first or second grade reading passage and they're really like struggling to decode. They're disfluent. But if it's a kid that has like a strong vocabulary, they have great life experiences and they go to the zoo and the library and they do all these things and they have like that pool of knowledge to kind of draw from and can relate to the story. Sometimes even though you would not be able to understand what they're saying half the time when they're reading this passage, you ask them what they've read about and they've got a really good grasp on, crazy. on what they actually read. And that's not all the times or sometimes they'll have really good what we call listening comprehension. So if the story's read to them or they hear a story, they have great understanding of it. It's just they get really tripped up on that, the decoding piece of, of words. I've been thinking about this interview. This is, I didn't know we we're going to get into dyslexia, but I think it's great. I think if someone's listening that either has dyslexia or their kid has dyslexia or they're not that familiar with it, they can learn a little bit about it. But I've been looking forward to getting both of you guys in here for this interview because I want to do kind of a little bit of a role play. Let's pretend for a minute that Rachel works at the school where your daughter was going. And let's pretend that she was the person that you were going to go in and speak to. Maybe you didn't even have this option mm -hmm. with your situation that happened with your daughter. And so, Kind of talk about that. What went on with you? You said you pulled your daughter out, right? Last week? Yeah. 10 yeah, days ago or something? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to homeschool her for the rest of the year and, and kind of see what, what happens. My daughter has anxiety and she's at that weird age, sixth grade, just busted into a brand new middle school where all these kids are coming from all their other various mm -hmm. elementary schools. And I mean, this is probably a different topic, but dude, those kids are mean. <laughs> like yeah. those kids oh, are I think so that's part of this. mean. Yeah. Yeah. They're, sixth grade kids like i remember being in sixth grade we'd call each other like fart knockers <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like like that was the worst we did maybe sure. like push each other around here and there but then we're best friends again these kids i guess with the social media and how connected mm -hmm. they are they can really ramp up and 24 7 be awful to each other instead of just oh oh man i gotta walk home different route so i'm not bullied by this kid you know back in the 90s right sure. now it's oh they have access to me and I have access to them okay. at any hours of the day. And it just makes, I, I, so my kid was having, she's, and she's, you know, she's a competitive cheerleader. She's not like, I mean, she's got plenty of friends. Mm -hmm. She's pretty as can be. It's just, these kids are just mean to each other. And one kid in particular at school, I mean, walked up to her and just grabbed her by the arm, slammed her in front of like everybody in front of, the whole table of at lunch and then the, the things they say to each other like this kid flat out just yelled the most vulgar like mature <laughs> i can't even say it like because it's so disgusting to say to a sixth grader and we we brought we bring it to the you know we bring it to the attention of the staff and they their idea was to oh well we'll just give her we'll let her leave class 10 minutes early 
so she can avoid that kid. And it was like, okay, that's not a solution. You're isolating her strategy. Yeah. So it's like, all right, dude. So now, so you're saying my kid doesn't get that hallway time with her Mm -hmm. friends. She doesn't get, oh, she's the weird one that has to get up and walk out of class early right? or, or stay, stay late and go into class after, or, you know, everybody else has already sat down. Like she's walking the halls by herself. I mean, that's the, that's the solution. Okay. Yeah, I guess. There was just such a disconnect between, it seems like, and this is going to, I'm not trying to get political, but it seems like some of these school districts have this agenda that they're just, and they, they really don't want to upset parents by disciplining children at all or giving them even like detention. Detention nowadays, you give a kid detention, it could be racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Man, I had season tickets to detention. <laughs> right. And that was just what we did. It's like everybody got the, but now it's like kids are, I don't know. It's just different. It's way different these days. And it's just, I don't know. And then the school shootings and all that stuff. And maybe I'm like, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but there was like 10 different schools that got threatened <laughs> that one week. Like, oh. remember that? Like St. Charles High, I think, got oh, yeah. threats. They had the whole squad out there. I didn't Wright know City. I it was like the same. I think it was right around the time Nashville, too. And um, yeah, I don't know. We're just like, dude, this is just, let's just finish out the year at home. Because she was having troubles with all those other girls. And yeah. They, they pick a kid and it's just ruthless. Do so, you yeah. see this kind of thing in your district or your area? Yeah, I mean, I, I like middle school for a reason and that's her life. It's different now, <laughs> though. When I always prefer the younger ones. But yeah, I mean, I, I think when we get into like fourth and fifth grade, there's still a lot of that social media. And, and yeah. yeah, I think that, like you said, there's a lot of just access. Like when we were kids, it was mm-hmm. like you went home and you don't know what anyone else was doing unless you had a play date or, you right. know. And I think that parents don't do a great job of monitoring their children's online activities. And, right. And some parents are not nice people also. So then you're modeling, you know, kids aren't inherently mean to each other, right? They have to learn that somewhere. They totally. have to see that somewhere or hear that somewhere. And so there is definitely a big parenting component to that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So we, Cassie, my wife, is very... It, it, Annabelle's 12. Our daughter's 12. She's got a phone. She's got the Snapchat, the TikTok. And I, I hate to say that because, I mean, I don't agree with her having it. But if she didn't have it, then she's the weirdo. And out. she's excluded. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that sucks. And But but so we to make up for that, we monitor the hell out of it. Sure. So we monitor it. Uh, like Cassie will pop in her Snapchat 10, 15 times a day just to see, just because. There's a lot of parents that don't do that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of parents that just sit there and they let their kids say the worst stuff ever. Mm-hmm. And they're not even looking at it. And then when you bring it to their attention, we had one of the moms of the one of the group of kids call us helicopter parents and like, let your kid live. And I'm like, dude, she's 12. What does that mean? Like a helicopter parent? Where you're just always like checking on them, making sure they're not. Well, you should be. Like you're harboring. It's social media. They're kids that yeah. can drive a car. I don't even right. think they're allowed to have, like, I think you gotta be 13 to have Snapchat, like per oh, yeah, term, terms sure. and conditions. Probably. You know what I mean? And you're over here giving us shit, the stuff for like, yeah. I don't know. Wow. But it's, dude, it's different. And a lot of parents don't know anything that their kids are doing. And one of the kids got on Annabelle, Cassie grabbed Annabelle's or logged into Annabelle's mm-hmm. Snapchat. And this kid was saying the most raunchy stuff, this boy to my kid, like so mean, like, not like, not like yeah. trying to like flirt with her, but like right. the opposite, like horrible. And then Cassie gets on there and goes, Hey, this is Annabelle's mom. Please stop talking to my daughter like that. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to block you. And he's like, F off, ho. <laughs> to, like, and like went hardcore on Cassie. Like these kids don't give a, they don't no. care about parents. They don't care about some of yeah. them. Just are just wild. 
Right. And I'm like, yo, you just got to get out of that hole. Let's do some homeschooling for the rest of the year and let's evaluate because yeah. there's no discipline at home. There's no discipline at schools. I mean, I, I'm, it's shocking. Shocking, dude. Yeah. We have covered so much here. Let's take a quick break and come right back. We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting. The Street Smart Mental Health Podcast is powered by Birdies for Bipolar. Birdies for Bipolar aids veterans and civilians living with mental illness by using golf as recreational therapy. For more information, check out birdiesforbipolar.org. That's birdies, the number four, bipolar.org. Welcome back to Street Smart. Let's dig back in. I think, I think a lot of I'm holding back a lot because I don't want cuss. <laughs> what if I, I think a lot of people are in the same situation. I think you've got your camp of parents that do a really great job of monitoring and modeling good technology and social media use. Yeah. And then I think you have the other extreme of people that are just like free for all parenting with no Mm-mm. supervision. Do you see a lot of that? Because you do deal with the parents. Right. Sure. Not not. A ton, so maybe not in your. Some. I mean, more so. I feel like when I w- worked at a high school. I mean, this was oh, there was yeah, a lot more behavioral of issues. this going on. Yeah, but you know, elementary school. I mean, there's still plenty of third, fourth, and fifth graders that have phones. But I don't. I don't feel like they have like the social media as much. Maybe. Imagine a third grader with Snapchat. Uh, like that's well, real. That that's kind of what I'm thinking. Is are you allowed? And forgive my ignorance here, but if you're in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, can you bring your phone into class? Um, I think it depends on the school. I mean, a lot of kids will have it. Like, they'll keep them in their book bag, or you might have to turn it into the office. But I mean, like, but no, it's not like out with right. Yeah, like class. Are you allowed to have it on your desk, or is it? No, no. But like when I worked at a high school, because they might use their phone to do. You know, I feel like when I worked at a high school, there was um, phones were out all the time. I mean, some teachers were really good about like they would have like these little things, and you had to everyone had to put your phone in when you walked in the room. But then with you know, there's obviously pros and cons to technology. And so, like, there are different things that you can do on your phone to make class more engaging. And so right. you might, or even just sometimes kids would be like, okay, here's the assignment on the board. And they snap a picture of it instead of going in and, like, logging into the teacher's website later that afternoon to see, like, what yeah. the homework assignment right. was. Or there's, like, you know, all these different apps and quizlets and stuff like that. So, you, I mean, there is a there is a lot of cool things you can do with technology. So when I was in a high school, I mean, it was very prevalent to see phones out all day, every day in class, whether they're being used appropriately or inappropriately. I think sometimes teachers just... It's too hard to monitor that. Yeah, like unless you're going to have a strict policy of like you turn it in and put it in these little containers before class starts and then you get it when you leave. But I mean, I'm sure I'm, it's been probably about seven or eight years since I've worked in a high school. Probably yeah, sure, way worse. I'm sure parents probably like, well, or you know, like you can't take my kid's phone away from that, right. you know? And so, no, I mean, in elementary school, no, I don't, we don't see phones out, but yeah, it it's a big issue. Dude, can you imagine if we had cell phones? I'd have straight A's. I would have had every, can you imagine? Every, I would have got everything right. <laughs> I can't. It didn't even register. I mean, it wouldn't even, it was so far from our reality in high school. Yeah. I, I think even. I got a Nokia, like, yeah. 
phone. I, I played Snake on it. Yeah, yeah, I could play Snake on it, but I couldn't Google the answer to everything. Sure, sure. I didn't have my own phone until I was 21. Yeah, that's yeah. some. Imagine that. Well, you're days. super old and true. You're really true. It's a real dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and to kind of go back, I know we kind of went from like dyslexia to anxiety, but another thing that I kind of think, I mean, there is, we kind of talk about when we're doing like problem solving in our school buildings and it's never truly, I feel, it's very rarely truly like this is just an academic concern or this is just a social emotional concern there's usually going to be a combination of both. And so if you're struggling academically, you might have some anxiety. Yeah. Or if you're being bullied or have anxiety, then you aren't as focused on your schoolwork because you've got all these other things that you're thinking about during the day. And so there really is a lot of overlap between just general learning difficulties and any type of social, emotional, or behavioral issue. It's very rare to just see one and not the other. And not the other. Mm-hmm. It seems like to me, from where I sit, that bullying continues to pop up. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be going away. Like it's been going on for a number of years, right? Mm-hmm. Are, are the schools doing anything to make an effort to change, or is because it's all within the social media realm? Is it kind of like they wash their hands of it because it's outside their you know, jurisdiction because it's inside the phone? Is that sure. what they're, how they're getting by without maybe doing more about it? Yeah. I mean, I know at the elementary level, and I'm not sure about like middle and high school, but I mean, we have like specific social emotional curriculums. So we talk about friendship and feelings and, you know, setting boundaries and how to, you know, there it's a, it's a social emotional curriculum specifically that we're, we're using that that's they do idea. lessons that, you know, the teachers do in the lessons or the counselors do. So it talks a lot about like friendships and bullying and you know, because sometimes then kids kind of go the other extreme and they're like, you know, someone is teasing them and they're like, well, that kid's a bully. You know, some kids take yeah, it a little bit to right. the extreme. So we talk about like that word's thrown out a lot. specific examples of like mm-hmm. what is bullying, what's not bullying. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so the, I mean, definitely at the elementary school level, I mean, really even starting in kindergarten, we, we have that social emotional curriculum that we focus on. It's part of the curriculum um, and expectations. And there's just like there's state guidelines on like at the end of first grade, you need to acquire these skills academically. There's social emotional learning standards as well. I mean, I can remember being in high school and if two guys had a problem, they would kind of get after each other verbally at lunchtime and then they would meet yeah. on a, at a neutral site and they have a fist fight flagpole at three babe right and you know what i know that sounds terrible that and there'd be other people from the school going to watch and it was Mm -hmm. a big deal and i know this sounds terrible but that seemed to get it that was taken care of that was it Mm -hmm. you know yeah and it's a shame that (laughs) i know this sounds bad but it's it's a shame that can't still go on saying we can't just throw them in a ring yeah drop the gloves baby (laughs) just let it go yeah and i think especially with like COVID and I, I do think there's more parents that are choosing to do alternative whether it's they decide to homeschool or you know during COVID you know some parents weren't comfortable sending their kids back to school so they would do like pod teaching where you would have like mm-hmm. one online teacher and they might have six or seven kids that they're teaching but it's like private they're not affiliated with any school district so yeah I think there is a lot of parents are really seeking out a lot of different alternative kind of school environments well this guy right here is looking for you're looking for a new one too yeah well my my best bud uh ashley travers she pulled her kids out last year and she's been doing some online i don't know if it's online it's something at home and it's fantastic she loves it she's all about it and she's she's helping us get set up on that that's great her kids are like thriving 
from it. Yeah, and there there is a lot you can do with it as far as just like enrichment, especially if you have a kid that is a pretty typical learner, above average learner. There's definitely more opportunities for and you get to spend time with them i love mm-hmm. i hated sending my kid to school like i, I missed her i missed her <laughs> you know what i mean like i'm weird like that like most people are like everybody's whenever it's like back to school time they're like woohoo you know and they take their pictures and post on facebook like i'm the kids are going back to i'm like that's my least favorite day like yeah hanging out that's my homie dude like yeah. that's, that's my butt yeah yeah i mean rachel we're in a very unique position with your job and you're going to be a new mom very yes, soon so, in a couple months yes, right yes eight weeks or give right. or take eight, eight weeks yeah yeah for first time yeah thanks so yeah i was kind of laughing i was telling one of my friends who has three little kids and used to teach kindergarten about coming on this podcast and just yeah like how much you know even as a school psychologist with a lot of background in child development how you think you're going to do things or that's exactly what, what i was going to ask advice might yeah. be, but like she's like just wait like your your advice might change here pretty soon um, yeah i mean so. your, your background is pretty ideal as far as like what path should we go with our child obviously sure. you're a little bit away from sending a kid to school but you're gonna, sure. you're gonna be like super mom like right. with all those Who tools knows? in I don't toolbox, know. I mean, right. dude. Hopefully, but I mean, I'm sure I'll have plenty of challenges myself. So when that time comes, when your son or daughter gets to mm-hmm. be in that, let's, let's go to that middle school range, that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade you know, area, are there a handful of things or maybe three things that you're going to focus on to say, hey, the, these are some of the things that I want to really make sure that we keep an eye on so our kid is doing the right things, you know, whether it's treating other students the right way or has an eye out to watch out for the experience like like Annabelle. Yeah. And I think as a society, maybe we've gotten better about this, but I think just like open, honest communication with your kids, obviously to at an appropriate level, like a conversation you're going to have with a six-year-old versus 12-year-olds can be very different. But I think just being very vulnerable and open and honest of like your own challenges, your own struggles, and just like this is what you can expect in these situations or as a parent modeling good behavior, good use of language, good use of social media, technology. I think it really goes back to you as a parent and a person and what you're modeling is kind of the first thing. And then I think I grew up, I I think you guys have talked about this before, I grew up like Catholic. I feel like there was a lot of like, I feel my parents didn't talk, like we talked about things, but it wasn't like this like more in-depth, meaningful conversation about what's going on. And it was kind of like, you just don't do this or, right. you know, it's like- I grew up, behave, yeah, that was confirmed Catholic too. You know, right. it's like if you don't, yeah. yeah and, and I think it's just more complex than that. And, and talking more about like you as an adult and a parent, like these are things that mommy struggles with or daddy struggles with, and here's how we're working on them. And just being upfront, honest about what's going on. And then obviously the- monitoring of these things and you don't want to be too overbearing but I mean you know you've got to get your kids rooms to make mistakes that's how we all learn but I think you know at that age especially when they're still developing those problem solving skills and self-monitoring skills you you do have to intervene and set boundaries and I think that it's hard setting clear boundaries and having clear expectations benefits all kids and if those are those boundaries are crossed then the other has to be some type of conversation or, or consequence sure um, i mean you you mentioned helicopter parent like <laughs> i feel like that's the best way to parent now i'm not a parent I, that's just my style and yeah. until she's old enough like i let she's a kid she's yes. 12 she just turned 12 like mm-hmm. i mean i'm not gonna let her be 18 25 35 right. like you know she's a she's a child so yeah and social media is just way too i don't know way too just 
too much. It's very complex. Yeah. And it, it dude, it's actually really these phones, man, they've changed the game entirely for parenting. I mean, I, I literally tried to take my kid's phone away last week and you would have thought that I was taking a needle from a heroin addict, mm-hmm. dude. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm like, wow, now you're really not getting it back. Sorry, but, See, but that's like, not that's good parenting to me, right? Well, Agreed. And, and, I agree. Too. And so like everybody and certainly social media is an issue. There's no doubt about that. But Rachel, wouldn't you agree? And the reason I'm bringing this up is a good friend of mine's uh, he's a baseball coach and he's always recruiting players, right? And I asked him a number of years ago, I said, what, what's the biggest problem you run into? He said, oh, bad parenting. Parents. <laughs> so how often do you run into that? Like, I would prefer that someone is a helicopter parent. Yeah, right, totally. With your job, and I, you know, you don't want to name names or anything, of course, and we never do that. But like, how often do you see that the parents are a real issue? Um, you know, I think in general, most of the parents I work with are pretty reasonable, but and I think the term helicopter parenting gets kind of like a bad rap because when you break it down, it's not like it's a helicopter. It's not, I think it's but, a good thing. It's not yeah, legit yeah. always, you know. But, just, you know, there I have seen the extreme of like, you know, where parents are just way too involved and way too, or, you know, or parents that come in and they want to tell you how to do your job and they want to tell the teacher how to teach. And, you know, that's that's not your background. That's not your expertise for most parents. And so there is kind of that extreme of like where the parent does think that they know more than the teacher right. as it comes to teaching and the curriculum and, and all of that. So that's a situation where it's detrimental. But yeah, in general, I think you you kind of have those extremes of, yeah, there's like the overbearing parent where they come in telling everyone what Guns to do. Guns blazing. Yeah. And and then you've got then the, just the totally, you know, absent parent who does not parent or, and you know, it's interesting too, sometimes we'll sit in these meetings with parents and you've kind of got your parents maybe you're, it's your in-between, we'll call it in-between parent who just need a little bit of advice. Like they are, right. you know, they might just, oh. That's kind of why I asked you this. Yeah, like, oh, that's a good suggestion I never thought of. And sometimes parents don't know what to ask, I think, or they, I don't, know, I don't want to explain that, but yeah, they don't know what to ask, they don't know what questions to ask. And so I think they're trying their best, they're doing their best, but yeah, you might just, or, or sometimes I think parents think they're like not very capable of of handling some of these issues, whether it's like academic or social emotional, and they think that they, they need all this help, but they really just need a little bit of guidance. And then you've got your parents that are accessing a lot of resources, whether that be, you know, outside of school, like counseling therapy. And, and I think that's great. And I think literally anyone can benefit from therapy at some point no in their life. So I'm a huge advocate for that. And then, but then there also is the reality of the situation. There's just not great I mean, there are great mental health services, but there's just not enough of them, right? You know, you've got two, three, four, five month wait lists for psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors, and it's hard to to get in to and get some of those services. Is it is it difficult? Uh, I mean, I know that's difficult in the real world for adults. Is it the same kind of structure with kids? It's hard to get an appointment. It's hard. It can can in other words, can a kid come to either your office or the mental health office on campus at a high school? And, or middle school and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody. And then d- do they get taken care of right away or are they put on a list or they have to wait um, for an appointment? I think it kind of depends on the situation. You know, if it was like a, a pretty dire situation of, you know, kids making threat of self-harm or harming others, obviously they're going to sure. address that right away. As far as just like regular ongoing counseling for kids in schools, it's pretty limited. We do Schools do provide mental health services and like short term counseling, but as far as like long term or like more in depth, that really is all done outside of school. You know, as schools 
have pretty limited resources as far as like counseling and therapy within schools. A lot of schools do have access to like partnerships. And so I'm trying to think like Youth in Need is a, a program here and like Lutheran Family Services used to have like contracts with schools. So they might have like a Youth in Need therapist that's assigned to your school like one day a week or a Lutheran Family Services counselor that's assigned to your school one day a week that has, you know, a, a caseload of students that they work with regularly. But yeah, I would say like counseling services in schools are pretty limited, which is unfortunate. So then it, you know, then you're kind of, and there are situations where you say to parents and you really think your child could benefit, you know, from from more therapy or more counseling, or, or we just aren't capable of addressing these needs as a school. And, you know, some parents are super receptive to that and get on it right away and they call their insurance and they figure out and we have a list of, of providers that we can recommend. And then some parents just say, well, no, I don't really feel like that's necessary or I feel like it's the school's job to to do that. So it really depends. But yeah, I mean, to get into like a, you know, a neurologist, a child psychologist, a psychiatrist, I mean, there's definitely usually a pretty long wait in this area. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a way to figure that out to speed up the process for both children and adults and teenagers, mm-hmm. whatever. That, that would really... I think changed the game a lot. But yeah, just to get an appointment anywhere is such a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. It's so disturbing. Yeah. And there's even, you know, there's some additional services like outside of school. Like as a school psychologist, there's school psychologists that work in like private practice or like hospital mm-hmm. settings. And there's sometimes situations where maybe the school district doesn't feel like an evaluation is warranted, but, or, you know, just for the, some of those outside diagnoses, if you want to get your child evaluated for ADHD, like outside the school or whatever. There are wait lists for that. There are some of these clinics that do all the same assessments that I would do, but in a clinic private setting that parents do their pain out of pocket or using insurance for. And sometimes those are like six months to a year. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great. There's just a lack of funding, I think a lack. And even as a school psychologist, there's a huge shortage of school psychologists nationwide. I think the, the National Association for School Psychologists says there should be like one school psychologist per 500 kids, I think. And I think the average is like one per a thousand. I mean, oh it depends. I mean, you can go to their website and look at a map and it's definitely in the South. It's like one per like 2,000 kids. See, this is why I wanted to have you on here because I knew you would know shit. That, <laughs> yeah. You know. So yeah, any, and I, I'll, I'll make a plug for some of nationally certified school psychologists. The National Association of School Psychologists website has great resources. Say that again. That was, I know. You just, you just M&M to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's the National Association for School Psychologists website. I think it's just NASP, N-A-S-P, online.org, I think. But they have great parenting resources on their website. They talk about how to access a school psychologist. And then it has a lot of great data on like the shortage of school psychologists. So I always make a plug for like if someone's interested in education or teaching, like it's definitely a great career to to look into. I mean, it's it's extra schooling, but lots of job opportunities. It's very unique job that is so very different from day to day. So what made you want to do this job? Yeah, great question. Great question. I knew I wanted to do psychology. So I think I took like a psychology course in high school and was like, oh, I think this is fascinating when they start talking about just all the different, you know, just different disorder. I, I was just very fascinated by the brain and, and all of that. And so then I took like an AP psychology course in high school and then was like, okay, this is like what I want to do. So I went into college, like knowing I wanted to major in psychology, but I had like no idea within that, like what I wanted to do. And I went to SIU Edwardsville. And at that time they had a requirement 
one of your graduation requirements was, I think, like your junior year, you had to take a specific course called careers in psychology because it is such a big field and there's lots of different avenues you could go. So it was a requirement just kind of to figure out what you wanted to do. In the semester I took it, the professor happened to be a school psychologist. (laughs) So I think it was a little bit of fate. And I just was like, I didn't know this existed. And and I think, and I was always interested in psychology, but also like wanted to help people, but didn't really want to be a teacher for a while. I wanted to be a nurse, but then I realized I didn't really like blood. So that wasn't going to work out, you know? So I wanted to find a field that could mesh both. And I think school psychology is a great, you're working with kids, families, you're helping people, but then there is kind of that psychology and all that that plays into it as well. So yeah, I think it was just really, I lucked out and it happened the, the semester I took that course was uh, the professor was a school psychologist. So I spent a couple, several times, you know, after class talking to her, asking her more about it. And then, yeah, by the end, I think probably like junior year, beginning of senior year, knew that of college and that's what I wanted to do. And then applied to grad school programs that were specific to school psychology. And that's awesome. This is a random question. Did you have a favorite, like learning, did you have a favorite psychologist? Like mine is Dr. Claire Weeks. You know who that is? I talk about her all the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you, Dr. Claire Weeks, she passed away, but she was an Australian psychologist and she literally, her teachings literally saved my life. Yeah. And I was just wondering if you had one that you learned. No, about. and no one's ever asked me that question before. <laughs> I, I, that stuff that fascinates me, like <laughs> no, the people, like the the pioneers of like mental yeah. health and psychology. I love that. Like everybody always talks about, about Freud, which. One. Right. Well, or, or Skinner or yeah, some of your classics. Yeah. 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 My, mm, yeah, I can tell you my favorite. Great one. Uh, my favorite is not a guy that you really would probably know. He's Dr. He, Seuss. He was right, <laughs> cat in a hat. He was actually more well versed in uh, sports psychology, golf, golf stuff. So a guy named Dr. Bob Rotella. Okay. It's interesting how I really studied that a lot in college and when I played professionally. And it's weird because the stuff I learned for the golf through him and his books, I've read all of his books, it really applies to regular life stuff too. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't. Even if it's not like a Freud or somebody huh. that you're is famous, you can you can learn a ton from if you have if you do have a favorite. Yeah, who who was your Bob? What was his last? Doctor Bob Rotella. Rotella. He started as a sports psychologist with the University of Virginia basketball team. He's but, still alive. Oh yeah, he's still doing great work. But then somehow he got into working with PGA Tour players, and he's still working with them, and he's renowned, and he's nice. helped a lot of guys change their mental approach and their mental game and help them win major tournaments. So I definitely keep an eye on him and, and listen. I listen to his books, I read his books, and I always try to share with people that he's out there. Speaking of books, you wrote a book. I've read it. It's a very <laughs> every, good book. Fascinating. Oh, you read it. You were the one. I, you read the book? I read my best book. I read no kidding, probably in a day or two. I was very... People say I they read it fast. see how it ended. It's like you're you're rooting for him. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I probably read it maybe like a year ago. So, okay. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah. It's, it's a good book. It does uh, move rather quickly. Once sure. It gets sure. I mean, it's not a 500 page novel. It's a, no, no. It's a good book. It's easy read, but it's definitely one that I didn't want to put down. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, Birdies for, Birdies for Bipolar is uh, your organization. Birdies, but the name correct. of the book is Birdies, Bogies, and Bipolar, bipolar Disorder. disorder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's definitely, <laughs> it's more of a plan of what not to do when you have bipolar disorder. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> yes. That'll do it. But sure. you're rooting for him the whole time. You're well, I, I appreciate that. Now, you know, now that we bring that up, tell me about what you see in the schools with bipolar. Do you see it popping up or is it getting diagnosed? Is it getting swept under the rug? Like what? Um, you know, once again, like elementary school, I mean, even in high school, I mean, it would be unusual. I feel like, I mean, I've definitely seen kids that have diagnoses of, of bipolar. 
I think it was when the last edition of the DSM came out, like DSM five. What's the DSM? Or, sorry, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Yeah. So it's the big. It's basically the Bible of mental disorders, and so they revise it. I don't know every 10, 15 years to include yeah. new disorders. Yeah. And I want to say that one of the last editions. There's this new disruptive mood dysregulation disorder that they kind of got a new one. Yeah, that was in the last edition that's for kids. And so I feel like it kind of like encompasses a lot of those. They may eventually have some type of mood disorder. So I feel like that I've seen a lot more of that disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Or you'll see kind of like a mood disorder, like not otherwise specified. I do think they're usually hesitant at this age just to say, you know, I really think this is bipolar or schizophrenia or, you know, those those bigger kind of heavier diagnoses, which obviously schizophrenia is usually not until your late teens or 20s anyways. But yeah, I think they have kind of some newer, (laughs) and I'm not, you know, since I'm not in private practice, I don't use the DSM frequently, but obviously we see a lot of reports from outside providers and and medical providers that have these diagnoses. But yeah, that seems to kind of be like a big one that's like this kind of catch-all for now. And then like as they age and, you know, kind of they, I think, and reassess before they make that diagnosis. I'm not surprised to hear you say that what we asked you at the beginning of this episode about which mental illness is the most popular, or not most popular, but the most common, mm-hmm. I should say. And because it seems like to me, like you said, Brandon, when we were growing up, it was ADD or ADHD, right? Yeah. It definitely seems like anxiety mm-hmm. is the one that is more prevalent and more people are talking about it. And I'm sure you see that, like you said, more than anything else. Is there anything, whether it's meeting with a parent or meeting with a student, like when they talk about anxiety, is there any specific advice you talk to them about on how to handle it? I mean, certainly everybody can say, well, you can look into a medication, but what other Mm -hmm. besides that? Sure. I think the first part is just acknowledging it. And I think that goes a long way of like, I think it's hard for when people have an experience anxiety and they have a child or a student that is experiencing significant anxiety I think sometimes there's just like a I don't understand that that's so irrational to me like why would you think that way so I think kind of as the adult or the person that maybe is not experiencing the anxiety like taking a step back and like kind of checking your own I want to say biases but like your own like really kind of trying to put yourself in the perspective of that person because it's very real to them I love that right mm-hmm. it's very real to them and I think that's a hard mind shift to make sometimes that I think then mm-hmm. teachers parents or, or just like, you know, like suck it up, get over it. Like it's not a big yeah. deal. Like you said, and it is. People, Dude, people don't, they nail What they don't do enough with mental illness is put yourself in somebody else's mm-hmm. shoes. If you learn about what their condition is and you read about what they deal with, you got to put yourself in their shoes so you know mm-hmm. what they're going through, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's the best way you can if you don't have the condition yourself. Right, right. So I think that putting yourself in their shoes, the empathy piece, in the open conversations about it, which I think as a society we've gotten a lot better at, but still a lot of room for improvement. I'm just talking openly about it and their struggles. And, you know, I've done therapy and counseling and, and I think talking about that is important. And I've, I've had so many people, I feel like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, yeah, so, yeah, I've, been, I've seen a therapist before. And then I've had friends reach out and be like, what's the name of your therapist? Like, right. you know, tell me more. I, I kind of, you know, I've always kind of wanted to go and I don't really know what to do or where to go. And so, yeah, I think the empathy piece, open communication, and then, yeah, I think any type of therapy could be helpful. And then just kind of more of... Talk therapy. Talk therapy, yeah. But then also just, I don't want to say like behavior modifications, but kind of in a way of like, 
okay, I know this is a challenge for me. So what are some tools and strategies that I can use, whether I seek those out on my own or through a therapist? I think there's a lot of of different avenues, but I, I do always think that some combination of whether that be some cognitive therapy or, or some type of therapy and possibly trying medication. I mean, it's usually going to be the best combination of, you know, not for everyone, but, you know, kind of, I think research base it shows a combination of both is usually the most effective. So I think just kind of exploring both of those. And if it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work. But I think always kind of trying. No, but what you said a moment ago is exactly why we do this podcast. You said people need to be more open about it. They need to talk more about it, right? Talk Whether it's talk therapy or whether it's just having a conversation like this or having a conversation at a coffee shop, having a conversation during gym class in school, or having a conversation at breakfast at the cafeteria, you know, whatever it might be, or at a bar even. Yeah, and I yeah, think at that... That is why, number one, that's why we want to have you in. That's why we do this podcast. We want to make this this discussion more available, uh, as we say with our, our motto, make this discussion louder. And, and we are. And, you know, we really appreciate you coming in and joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. That is Rachel Jermack. Sorry, dudes. Yeah, no, uh, my neighbors both called. Everybody listened. I just jumped up. <laughs> it's all left, good. left the sunroof open on the car. Oh, oh dear. Well, shout out! Shout out to the neighbors for uh, <laughs> blowing me. I thought I was like, oh, hang on, my house is on fire. Obviously, <laughs> just had two neighbors coming, but no, it's storms okay. coming. It's yeah. like cold out now. Like is it getting cold, dude. Yeah, I gotta go put the roof on the vest. Son of a yeah. Um, but thank you for coming in. Yeah, Seriously, no, for I having me. I really, really appreciate you. Well, I'm glad you guys got to break down kind of what's going on with your daughter, what goes on in your school and schools over the years with 13 years of experience, and I think people are gonna you know enjoy that and kind of learn something from that. So, Rachel, thank you so much. Thank for my partner, the Natty King, I'm Michael Wellington. Come back and see us next time on Street Smart. Love you.